Cook and Morgan. Huh? All right, let me see. Come up here, and then I'll change the settings. Have to do it all over time. Okay. The challenge of prayer. The challenge of prayer part nine. This will probably end it right here. We're going to be in Isaiah... Over in chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. And I'm going to read verse 27 through 29. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment, or my just claim, is passed over from my God? Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Hopefully by now, you know, we've had eight previous weeks on prayer. Hopefully the Holy Spirit has excited us and we can realize our our office of priest of the new covenant. You know, uh, when I say that, I mean, there's a lot of people uh, this morning to be in church. They had watch nights. They do all of that other stuff. But I wonder, really, do people even realize who they are, what their function is, what their work of the ministry really is? Because I see the post from these same people, oh, no matter what your circumstances, God, guys, we all got a mess going on. We all got circumstances. It's all falling down around us. If you ain't known that yet, just open up. Open your eyes and see, you know. But we, we've been called to something. What worthy of the calling wherewith you've been called. I mean, there, there was a reason you got called out. I mean, priest of the new covenant. Those who are kings reign with Jesus Christ who sit in the true throne of the universe and order the events upon the earth. There's an excitement about that. You know, we've been talking about prayer, but, you know, I come up against, even in the church, you know, the argument is, when is the rapture? Pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. Nobody even contemplates doing something about it or fixing the mess because they don't really believe we have any authority on the earth. I mean, you're singing a song. I love the, 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 that song, Our Father in Heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Jesus said, pray that prayer. He didn't say, pray that you would go to the kingdom. Pray thy kingdom come and thy will be done. We're at in the earth, on the earth as it is in heaven. You are ministers of the new covenant. You are, we'll get into this more at another time, ambassadors of heaven. You are here to bring heaven to the earth, to, to dispel of the darkness. 
But the church doesn't believe that. The people don't believe that. Oh, just get me out of here. We have no authority here. Remember, he said, I mean, this was one of our previous lessons. He gave the earth to the children of men. It's yours. There should be an excitement about that. But what happens when you begin to pray about that? The excitement leaves, does it not? So, we'll go through why, but you'll see. So, let's understand how important this is. And I've known by experience, I know you have too, if you've ever tried this prayer. I'm telling you, we... I mean, the least attended service in, in all of church is the prayer service, and this is supposed to be a house of prayer. Oh, we can show up to midnight services and worship services and, and, and Christmas plays, but you call for a prayer service where we're just going to get down and do what we're called to do. So, and, and when, you're, when this prayer, you know, you're set to go do it, here comes temptation, oppression, pressure, trial. And, and let me say this, when you're doing the work, we'll say it this way, of, of the ministry, all the, the temptation and pressure and trial will ease off of everything and it will focus on stopping you from praying. The world will come at you to stop you from praying. Why is that? Why is that? Have you ever wondered, I mean, how many of you, you, you know, you want to go to sleep at night, open up your Bible, and within five minutes, your eyes will be 100 pounds. Why is that? There's something there that wants to stop you from reading, from hearing from the Lord, the same thing that wants to stop you from praying. The, the powers of darkness would rather see me work like an idiot at the work of God than to pray. They would rather have you into a thousand programs and ministries than to do the work of the priesthood, which is to pray. As long as I'm not praying, there's no problem. But let me begin to pray. And any opposition that was directed at my public work, whatever it is, it leaves off, and everything plus will come at you to stop you from praying. It'll be the hardest thing that you ever attempted to do. This is why we call it the challenge of prayer. You know, have you ever just wanted to kind of withdraw in, in prayer sometimes, just just withdraw, prepare. It's unbelievable the stuff that'll stop you from doing that. Everything in the world will break and tear up and I mean just everything will go on and phones and everything will come at you. It's unbelievable. The most ridiculous interruptions. Wonder why that is. See, people don't realize how important this stuff is. It seems like you can do anything but prepare. And, you know, it seems so simple. We teach your kids. I know they, they teach them back there to, you know, pray. Yet, 
even to attempt to pray or approach prayer, you get this impression. This must be the very heart of spiritual warfare if you ever pay attention to it. And, and I'm going to bring some spiritual warfare right down because I like to have it where the rubber meets the road because if we don't recognize our enemy and his tactics, he will wool us to death. And we won't even know it. I mean, you know, we've watched too many exorcist movies and we think, you know, we're fighting the devil and it's green pea soup and, and all this other stuff. But, but it's not. I mean, Paul said he's subtle. You know what subtle means? That means it's happening and you don't even know it's happening. That means the, the mice is behind your TV chewing your cables in two. And you don't even realize it until you turn the TV on and you ain't got no TV. It's subtle. I mean, it's subtle. If you look at Ephesians 6, it says you take up the whole armor of God in order to pray. I mean, the whole spiritual warfare there is what? Prayer. The whole thing's about prayer. Spiritual warfare is not fighting the devil. It's praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. That's what Paul says. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. So the actual heart of spiritual warfare, prayer. And the first most common attack that you'll come up against with prayer is common attack. And you won't recognize it as an attack because it'd be so obvious. Therefore, you won't associate it with the devil at all. You see what I mean? Because he's so subtle. And that is, I don't have time. Because it's obvious. This takes time. It might cut into your sleep. It might cut into other things. It's obvious this takes time. But what will happen is you won't have time. I mean, there's work to be done. There's houses to clean. There's clothes to wash. There's kids to take care of. There's ministry to do. There's all kinds of stuff to do. But to take the time, And I'm not talking about your little nursery rhyme prayers that I said growing up. Now I lay me down to sleep or pray the Lord my soul to keep. I'm not talking. We're talking warfare here. I mean, do you want things to change? This is a work. This is a, this is a labor here. Going to prayer work takes time. And the very first thing that blankets your mind, probably even today on the way home, when the excitement dies, you realize, I just don't have time. You know, I mean, we, we do a lot of teaching and, and stuff like that, but you know what? If we never taught another lesson and we just gathered out and prayed, we'd probably be better off. I, I mean, really, we get more done. We get more done. And let me be very, very clear. This is to all of us. We have time for what we count as important. We always do. If we think it's important, then we have time for it. And if we don't have time, what does that tell you about our mindset when it comes to prayer? It's not very important. If something is significant in our lives, meaningful, necessary for life, I, I guarantee you, I don't like to do it. 
but I have to wash clothes every week. And you know what? Whether I want to or not, sometimes it's late at night. I got to get my work clothes ready, and I just have to wash. Of course, it ain't hard now. I put them in a the washing machine, you know, hit the button. But, you know, you, you have to do it. You have to make time for it. It's necessary. We find the time for it. We do it even if we have to stay up late at night or get up early in the morning, whatever we got to do. We, 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 we'll find the time. Now, how do we look at prayer? If I think of prayer as some godly exercise that will have an effect on me, that is, if I pray, I become more godly. If I pray, I become more saintly. Then really, it can wait. I just hang out at this level of saintliness for now. You know, everybody, we're pretty satisfied where we're at. We're in the Lord. We're okay. You know, then we start judging. Well, at least I'm not like old Joey over there. I mean, that guy, pretty satisfied where I'm at. So, so praying then just becomes, you know, we're okay where we're at. It can wait. And if prayer is just this relationship interaction between me and God, if prayer just does something to me and it's, it's just a godly thing to do, and I'll get to it later when I have time. You know, when I have time. If we have all these questions about God running the universe magically without us being involved, then we still haven't got in our heads where prayer, prayer belongs anyway. I mean, have you been challenged with the questions of prayer? If God is sovereign, why pray? If he knows everything, got the hairs of your head number, he knows what you're going to do before you do it, why even pray? I mean, who can change? I mean, you know, God doesn't change, so how can I? What's, what, why pray? It's not going to matter anyway. See, if you think that, you, we, we haven't got down to the, to the nuts and bolts to what prayer really is. And if that's what we think about it, we'll never get to it because we won't ever think it's important. God's going to do what He wants to do anyway, right? I mean, we got... 99% of the church world believes God's a big murderer. And every time somebody dies, God took them. You know, it was their time. I'm telling you. It was... But death is unnatural. I mean, God is life. Jesus Christ is life. Okay? And, I mean, we, we have to understand that. I mean, we wasn't meant. All this stuff that we have to go through, guys, God didn't make cancer. I want you to get a hold of that. You didn't make that. We live in a stinking, fallen world. And, you know, until God's people get tired of it and stamp their foot down, they will never do nothing about it. And the whole church world mentality is just get us out of here. And he says, I gave it to you. Now, I mean, Jesus even told them, how long have I, have I suffered to be with you? When are you guys going to get it? I said, go out. I've given you power 
over the devils and over the... Go cast them out. Go heal the sick. Go do it. I told you to go do it. Oh, but when I begin to pray, you know, Lord, I don't really have to... Just get me out of here. You see? Church locked in babyhood. But if prayer means the bringing of the will of God to be done in my life and the lives of others... Do, do you, you get that? That the will of God be done. My praying brings about the will of God in my life and the will of others. What? I mean, we read these verses like a tree planted by the water. His, his desires for you, his desires are good and pleasant. We read them. So we know his will is good. So I look at my life and I'm thinking, is everything in my life hunky-dory, rosy, and great? Well, no, it's not. So I have an inheritance right here that I can't attain to. So what's the holdup? Prayer. I'm, I'm telling you, we, we don't see that. If prayer can really give somebody a brand new heart, do you, I mean, do you believe that? If you don't believe that, guys, I'm wasting my time. I mean, do you really believe that prayer can give somebody a brand new heart? That God's will is for them to have a brand new heart, and the reason they don't is because he needs somebody to pray that his will be done. So here we are, the priesthood. If, do you believe that prayer can unleash people from the powers of darkness? Well, if not, how did you get here? Because somebody prayed for you when you didn't even know it and you was released from the powers of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his dear son. And that happened because somebody prayed. Maybe, maybe, they may have prayed for a long time. I mean, it didn't, maybe it just didn't happen like that. Maybe, maybe somebody, maybe a grandma was praying for you when you was about this big. You know? And it took a long time. It may have took 40 years, but, but God did it. If prayer can close down sinners of darkness, I mean, I don't see everything. Uh, um, I'll tell you like this, and I, I'm not being arrogant right here. They are some leaders in government, I pray, that God would open their eyes, but their agendas to fail. And I have seen some now taken out of office, taken out of office because of their nonsense. Prayer can shut down sinners of darkness. And not only shut them down, but replace them with light. If prayer can transform thieves into honest, godly people, then it has to be a priority. Right? So if we got to ask the question, if prayer really going to actually change human beings and change situation, then I have to conclude that it's worth staying up a little later for. Closing down the TV a little bit. Changing my schedule around. Doing a lot of things because it has meaning. Your prayer has meaning. And I, I want you to recognize uh, this. I, I want you to have this mindset that if uh, it won't get done if I don't do it. 
I mean, do you ever think like that? Most of the time in the church world, what is it? Pray for me. I don't really have time to pray for me. I want you to pray for me. Right? I want you to pray for me. I'm too busy. I want you to pray that the Lord would give me more time. Do you understand? I want you to pray for me. So it's, you know, we don't have that much. And, and with that mindset, I want you to understand the uh, Proverbs story of the lazy man. You ever read about the lazy man sitting back in his rocking chair? And Tracy talks about this in Proverbs 6.10. He says, a little sleep, a little slumber, like folding other hands to rest. You know what that means? Ten more minutes. Snooze. Ten more minutes. Snooze. Anybody do that? See, I always set my clock early so I can snooze it about five times. Tracy, she's a lot smarter than me. She sets her clock across the room, so she has to get up and go turn it off. And she says, why don't you just sleep to the last minute? I don't know. There's just something lazy in me that likes to hit the snooze button. And then you know what's worst of all is when you have to get up at 545 and you wake up at 543. Does that suck or what? Yeah. The lazy man. Ten more minutes. I mean, the Proverbs tell us, go look at this lazy man's farm. It's full of weeds. The stones are falling down. His house is a wreck. Look at him. He's lazy. And I'm going to tell you what, uh, uh, you're not going to believe this, but in the kingdom of heaven, there is no room for laziness. Or we wouldn't have the book of Proverbs. It was always about busy. Business. I mean, uh, you know, remember how we started out in this, in this kingdom business? I mean, when you're running a business, and it's not just running a business, running the universe from the throne of God, bringing about implementing the will of God into the earth, man, who's got time for sleep? You really want to get down to it. Who's got time for sleep? Because if you're a farmer, and I want to tell you what, I know a little bit about this. You probably do too. There's a window of opportunity you can't say, I'll plant tomorrow. You got to get it today. I mean, we, we start getting ready, and in the springtime, you know, you've got everything plowed up, you got it right, and then you know what you got to wait for? You got to wait for the dry day. And when that dry day hits, and you look, you ever heard the old saying, April showers bring May flowers? Sometimes in, in April, it might rain 17 days out of the month. You get two days, you got to plant. It doesn't matter. God forbid it might be on a Sunday. You got to put your taters in the ground. And you know what? When it comes to harvest, you got a window, you got to harvest it. I remember working with Dave and him uh, down there, and when, when the green beans come in, you know what? They had to get them. Tracy and them, her uncles and them, to grow green beans. When they, you can't put them on the porch and say, you know what? We'll get to them next week. You won't have no green beans. They're gone. There's a window of opportunity here. If you stay in your rocking chair, hit the smooze, you'll, you'll miss it. If you say, I'll, I'll, I'll do it tomorrow, tomorrow I'll have more time, you missed it. There's an opportunity here. So if we can understand that prayer is the strategy, you don't know what strategy is. That strategy is a warfare kind of term, you know. 
uh, today there'll be a bunch of NFL football games on, and each coach has looked over their opponent and studied and come up with, they call it a game plan. It's really a strategy of how they're going to attack this side or this guy's weak or this matchup. Prayer is the strategy of the glorified king of kings. That's his strategy. That's his game plan. And if I recognize their strategic windows of opportunity that would have me involved in or have me involved with him, you remember Esther? You remember what Mordecai told her? Who knows if you've been called to the kingdom for such a time as this. What an opportunity. What an opportunity. And I can guarantee you every one of you have been called to the kingdom for such a time as this. Yet, we still complain. Now, I don't know if you guys have heard of this guy or not. I get a, I get a lot of stuff. But his name is E.M. Bounds. And he wrote about people uh, from a long time ago. He writes, everyone who prayed all night and who, you know, when I read books like that, sometimes I find myself in guilt, you know. When I, when I read about these guys who pray for somebody for 40 years, and I'm thinking, oh, God, I don't have 10 minutes. And then I end up putting myself in guilt. Uh, and these people that were doing this prayer, they were doing it before they had central heating and air. You know what I mean? Before they had electricity. These people spent hours in prayer every day. I would just say, I mean, this is a simple question. I wasn't born in the late 40s or early 50s. But everything I've read says that that was the greatest generation in American history. You know, I don't know. Now, if I know anything, there was a lot of praying people during that time. You know what I mean? And then what happened, we're way over here. We're not in the greatest generation uh, overall. I mean, if you look at us today, the Western culture, we are the busiest people at doing nothing that anybody has ever done in the history of mankind. Western culture, us here in the United States, we are. There is averages. Now, this is kind of an old survey because this has changed. But the average American was spending 40 to 50 hours a week watching TV. Now, they're on the cell phone. And when it comes to prayer, what happens? I don't have time. And, and, and do, you know, do you realize what all that stuff does? Now, remember, this is subtle. And I'm just telling you, a lot of people don't like to hear this stuff. It's subtle. That stuff hypnotizes you. Its whole function is to hypnotize you and put their agenda inside of you. And that's what it does. And, and so much so that you, you'll even plan your day around an 8 o'clock TV show. 
And I'm not saying you, we. I mean, we're all in this. We're all guilty. We're raising a generation that's actually hypnotized by the screen. Let me ask you a question. I mean, some of you are a little bit older. I mean, what TV shows did you watch when you were five or six years old? Probably didn't have a TV. If you did, it was one of them I got one channel and it was real fuzzy. And, and at a certain time, that thing went off. Y'all remember when TV actually went off? You know? And you get that, and you just get colors up on your screen. If you got a black and white, it just goes gray. And then it comes on a certain time in the morning. Well, now, kids, everybody is hypnotized. It's like, y'all be quiet. I'll do my thing. Put this screen up in your face. And, and, and so we, we fell right into the trap. Fell right into the trap. And our whole function here is what? House of prayer. But who has time? And then we think, well, these crazy kids are driving me crazy. Well, I wonder why. And with all the modern devices that we have, all the modern devices are supposed to save you time. Do you realize if we didn't have the modern vehicles that we do, y'all probably wouldn't have made it today. Because y'all had to get on a horse or start walking on about Friday. Y'all coming all the way from council to get here. And you know what? It'd be like, it's too long. And I don't blame you. I wasn't going to ride a horse no 40 miles either. You, so we get modern devices to make things a whole lot easier and a whole lot quicker. And instead of taking the time that we've saved. I mean, do y'all remember the day if you wanted to cook something, somebody had to go get some wood and build a fire in the cook stove. And I mean, this was an all day affair. And some ladies never let the fire go out because it took too long to build it. So you might be in the kitchen seven, eight, nine hours a day. And now I can be in the kitchen for three minutes and 35 seconds. How long it takes me to fix my bowl of spicy beans. Put them in. Do, 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 do. Ding. Done. So what do I do with the other seven hours? I fill it up with stupid stuff. I shouldn't say this. It's kind of oxymoron. I saw this this morning on TV. <laughs> but I did. Uh-huh. I'm busted, ain't I? Do you realize there's about 38,000 people in Tazewell County? 38,000. That's pretty close. Might be a little more, a little less. Do you know there is 90,000 homeless people in Los Angeles alone? Imagine every single person in Tazewell County, three times over, homeless, living on the street. It's unfathomable, isn't it? Now we see that, but you know what? That's out there. Is that the kingdom of heaven? Is that, the, is that, the, the, is that God's will? I mean, is it God's will for us every Monday morning to get a police report from Chicago that looks like it did in 1968 from Da Nang for all the people getting killed and shot and from Philadelphia and the little kids being shot and killed? Is that God's will? When we're supposed to be touted as the greatest nation and everybody wants to put it up under God and we're not doing our duty. And what is our duty? What is our ministry? 
to bring to implement the will of God in the earth. And it's done through prayer and we don't have time. We don't have time. You remember Daniel? Prophet Daniel? Daniel was a minister of the state in, in the Babylonian Empire. I mean, he's, he's the prime minister here. He was in the government, yet this guy prayed all the time. When the scripture says he prayed three times, he prayed three times a day. And he went to his house and he opened up the window, as Solomon said, and turned his face towards Jerusalem and prayed. And his prayer had so much effect on the people around that they thrown him in a den of lions. What I'm telling you is he was serious about his prayer business. And you know what happened? I mean... Even the old king saw the glory of God and declared there's none other than the God of Israel. Now how did that come about? Daniel was praying. He opened that window and he prayed every day. It has an effect. I'm sure Daniel wasn't saying, man, I hope I get thrown into the lion's den. When you actually take the time to pray, I will tell you this, you get more done with less time. Has that ever happened to you? You get way more done and you think, wow, how did that happen? Because you go through the day without prayer and your day will be clutter. And you won't have time for nothing and at the end of the day you got nothing done. And then but a praying man, it just seems to click. Look at uh, Jesus. You know, his schedule when he was ministering was exhausting. I mean, here he is. He's the, he's the perfect man. And I want you to look at him as a man, son of man here. Don't look at him as son of God. He, he's a man who, who works so hard he's exhausted. So exhausted he's asleep in the back of the boat. Now there's a storm come in and I'll tell you. The miracle is not, he said, peace be still. The miracle is he slept in the middle of the storm. And his disciples is up there. I mean, and the way that storm is in the Greek, it's like a daggone tornado. It's tossing them around like crazy. They're bailing water. These are big, strong fishermen, and they're bailing water. So much so, they wake the Lord up. and They're mad at the Lord. Don't you care that we perish? What the heck? He was exhausted. But you know what the scripture says? He still took time to spend with his father. No matter what. With nothing getting, I'll sleep on the boat. I'll sleep in the storm. But I'm having my long time with dad. I mean, that was, remember, he's the, the prototype here. Jesus had to take his time to spend with his father. You know what the scripture says when he went to Gethsemane? When he went to Gethsemane, and people just read that like that's it. It says, which was his custom. You know what custom is? He did this all the time. Going to Gethsemane, yeah, that's what he always does. We're reading, looking back, but oh, where's Jesus? He didn't Gethsemane. It's what he does. He does it every night. He took the time to pray because it was of supreme importance. What he learned in the nighttime, in the night hours with his father, he goes out and does it during the day. 
So it's not a matter, this praying, it's not a matter of feeling, oh, I feel like praying. It's a matter of doing the business of the kingdom of God. It's, it's throne business. You, you know, I don't know about you, but, you know, some of us have a job. I maybe ask Neil or, or myself, I don't wake up every day and say, man, I can't wait to go to work. I'm so excited about it. I can't wait. I can't wait to go at 2 in the morning and plow snow. I mean, I'm so excited about it. But you know what? You're doing the business. And we're in the business of the kingdom. And when you're in the business of the kingdom, it's gotten... Because if I went to work when I felt like it, I'd have been retired. You know what I'm saying? But we're in the business. And when you're, when you're in the business, you know, Jeff is in the business. When you're in the business, it doesn't really matter if you feel like it or not. This is my business and you go do it. And sometimes my fingers hurt and my knees hurt. But, it's, but I must... Jesus said, I must be about... But his father's what? I mean, why didn't he use another term? Why didn't he say, my father's farm, my father's whatever? He said, my father's business. Business is something that you run. And if you're going to have a successful business, you got to go out there and get it done. Huh. Am I making sense? It's a matter of doing the business of the kingdom of God. It's throne business. I want you to think about that. Throne business. I mean, when you, you know, there's, I mean, when you're, let me think about it. I'm trying to think of how to put it. Let's say that, that, that you and your dad is owning a business and your dad has called for the members of the board together tonight at 2 a.m. You know what? I don't care what's going on tonight at 2 a.m. Your little butt better be there at that meeting. You, you, you know what I mean? Because there's business to be done. And there's an opportunity here. And there's, there's his will to be implemented. So I hope that we would pray that the Holy Spirit would reorder our days to the mind of God. Reorder our hours to the mind of God. Scripture says pray without ceasing. Does that ever bother you? Pray without ceasing. What the heck does that mean? I'm going to give you a, a, a medical term. Because Paul probably stole this from Luke. You know Luke was a physician. Luke wasn't an apostle. He was a physician. And he followed Paul around. And he, he wrote the book of Acts. And uh, and I think Paul stole this word because this is not a word that a Pharisee would use. The word ceasing. And uh, it's a medical term. And if I could take you guys hunting with me and dad one time, he'll laugh about this. Dad has this problem. When he starts coughing, he can't stop. We're sitting there and the deer's coming in. <laughs> he's got this stuff in his lungs and he's coughing and hacking. And that's what this word ceasing means. It means I'm coughing and I can't stop. And have you ever been to a place? We had an example. Jeff was right there trying to sing and he had a cough. And you know what? 
The cough was coming. And there wasn't nothing Jeff could do about it. That's this word. That was a good example. We set that up. <laughs> I said, Jeff, in the middle of the song, start coughing. I'll use it later. He said, all right. That's what, and you guys know that. It's like a sneeze. You can't stop it. It's this cough. It's down in here, and you're just trying to, you know, it's coming out. That's what this word means. Pray without ceasing. Pray, pray like a person who can't suppress his cough. Does, does this kind of bring it down? You can't hold it back. It, it means that as the Holy Spirit is praying within you the prayers of, of Jesus throughout your day, there'll be urges. So you slip away and pray. And I'll tell you... One of them, and, and, and I use this often, is, is in your vehicle, driving. Most people drive to work by themselves. And, and, and you know, at one time I was working down St. Paul. I really enjoyed the morning and evening time. The drive down took about 45, 50 minutes to drive back. And, that, man, that was good time. But you know what happens is now we're in such a rush. Do you realize? I want you to think about this. A red light. What does a red light do most times? It ticks people off. What an opportunity to stop and pray. I'm, I'm just saying. Standing in line at the, at the grocery store. I mean, what an opportunity. But see, I, I mean, the lazy man, right? He misses all the opportunities, right? But if our whole mindset is tuned towards this, you, you get what I'm saying. So you slip away and pray. So the first attack, this is the first attack. The first attack with your prayer life will always be you don't have time. And it will be so subtle you won't recognize it. Now next, uh, uh, let's say you got by that part, you really mean business. You, you got your mindset, you pray, it's exciting, you feel like for the very first time you know what you're doing, and you pray, and then nothing happens. Not a visible sign anywhere. Has that ever happened? And then you feel like, well, you're not being blessed. I used to hear people talk about, oh, he was blessed to pray. He wasn't blessed to pray. So then you think, well, I'm praying. I'm all excited, but then I'm just not blessed. Well, of course not. This is, prayer is not about that. Prayer is standing with the glorified Jesus, enforcing and doing his work on the earth, doing his work against the darkness, against the will of this world, against our own flesh. And in the midst of that, nothing is happening. What happens? You become discouraged. You become frustrated. There's no sense that you have your father's ear. Do you get what I'm saying? That's why people always ask everybody else to pray. And I'm thinking, you know what, guys? We're all priests here. We all have the same calling. There's only one calling. Go look. We're all in this business. But everybody said, well, you pray. 
Well, you, you pray. I, I, you know, you, you got God's ear, I don't. This is exactly what I'm talking about. You sense this frustration. You're closer to God than me. If I'm in Christ and you're in Christ, how can I be closer to Christ than you? So you become frustrated. You know what they're called in the scriptures? Flaming arrows, fiery darts. You know what a flaming arrow is? You remember ever watched the old Roman stuff? They would put the pitch out there and set the arrow on fire. When they would shoot the arrow, whatever the arrow hit, set everything on fire. I mean, I mean, he says that right here in Ephesians. Let me go give it to you. Ephesians chapter 6. Above all, taking the shield of faith. Chapter 6, verse 16. Wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Fiery darts. And those fiery darts come and I'm going to tell you what, the devil knows what he's doing. He shoots them right at your head. He doesn't aim for a body blow. He aims for your gourd. And he sets a fiery dart right in your head and it sets on fire your whole brain. One of the expressions of the fiery darts is doubt. That's the reason I say you pray for me. You're closer to God than me. You got God's ear. I don't. I, so what am I? What have I done? He shot that arrow and he's hit me right in the head with it. And the arrow says, "You're not as holy as that guy over there. You're not as holy as them, man. They're really saintly. They pray 57 hours a day. So you have doubt. It's uh, every time doubt comes in. You know, double-minded man is what unstable in all of his. You know what unstable is? We went. We went to eat the other night, and, and Morgan was sitting on one side, and, and me and Tracy sit on the other side. And if we put our elbows, you're not supposed to put your elbows on the table. Put your forearms on the table, the table would lean our way. Morgan put her down on the table, would lean that way. You, got, you know what I mean? Like, don't that drive you crazy? Boom, 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 boom. Doubt. Double-minded man, a doubting man is what? Unstable in all his ways. And what is those, what is, we're trying to run a business. You can't have unstable people trying to run your business, can you? Got to have good, dependable people that show up every day and do their due diligence. And this is prayer. So what happens is that he shoots this fiery dart, and tell me if this ain't true, (coughs) and you think you're the oddball. Everyone else is closer to God. Everyone else has got it down. My life is a wreck. Their life is so good. And mine's not. I'm, I'm the one person that Jesus can't do nothing with. Every time you think that, I want you to know that's a fi- you're walking around in the spirit world and everybody's laughing at you because you got 14 burning arrows stuck in your head and you don't even know it. You don't even know it. Y'all remember Steve Martin used to have that arrow in his head? So then you feel like you're not close to God. They get the answers. You don't. So you say, why bother? This is where everything I have said so far in these other eight lessons is of such importance. That laying the platform. You remember the platform, the foundation, 
You know, the double-minded man is unstable. That's why you got to go back to the rock. Jesus is the rock, the, this platform. That, that becoming sure on the basis of the finished work. You're not holy because anything you did. If you, I mean, I don't care if you did a thousand more works than me. All our righteousness is filthy rags before God. You are holy for the same reason I am holy. Because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. He did it. You bring nothing to the table. Nothing. And thank God for that. So I don't, he, he that compares himself among himself, they're foolish. So I come on the basis of, of the revealed name of God. Who is he? Who is it? Who is this God? Is he judge or is he love? Does he really desire? And see, you won't know that until that name has been revealed. That name that is above every name. And then I know that when I'm praying that this is the will of God on the basis of his invitation to prayer. On the basis of who he says I am in Christ. It's got nothing to do with how you feel. And let me tell you something. When you got that down, you didn't come to this on a passing whim. You didn't just make it up this morning. You came on this platform and when all of these fiery darts come at you, the shield of faith catches all the arrows. You, you, you see what I'm talking about? I mean, I mean, that's what he says. Take up the shield of faith. So if you don't begin with the prayer before the prayer, that's what I've been telling you. That's why your prayers had a dead end. What, the reason your prayer had a dead end, a fiery dart got you. I want you to know that. A fiery dart. And the fiery darts, one, are so subtle. I don't have time. I'm an oddball. I'm in doubt. Fiery dart got you. I told you, walking around with a bunch of fiery darts. So how do you get rid of the fiery darts? The shield of faith. Which is what is that faith? Well, you know what faith is? Believing that I'm, that I'm as close to God as, as Charles Spurgeon. That's Apostle Paul. Because I'm in Christ and he's in me. And I'm in him. This platform. So I want you to think about them fiery darts. When you, get, when you, when you got this, this faith, this platform, you got something to stand on. That'll absorb the fiery darts. You got to realize it's, it's not you. I mean, you'll think it's you, but it's not you. And, and let me say this. Have you ever second thought anything? Yeah, upon second thought. Right? Upon second thought. Second thoughts are rarely from God. You remember Peter's first thought? Peter's first thought was, Lord, if that's you, bid me come. His first thought was, I can walk on this water. If that's, if that's you, Lord, I can walk on the water. And Peter got out of the boat and walked a pretty good ways on the water. But what was Peter's second thought? I ain't supposed to be doing this. This is not right. People don't walk on water. This is crazy. Look at them waves, man. I'm going to drown. Your second thought, he was doubting, wasn't he? Second thoughts aren't from God. First thoughts, opportunities. 
So go back to the platform. What does the platform? Uh, reestablish yourself. Your faith is refreshed and, and strengthened. You remember Jesus, he tells a parable, we'll go into the parable in Luke chapter 18. I think that's a, a, of the woman that keeps going to the judge. He tells this parable. And in chapter 18, verse 1, that men ought to always to pray and to faint not, or not to faint. And this parable, he tells us, in the context of prayer. He's, what Jesus is saying here is there's a strong suggestion that when you pray, you're liable to faint. That's why he gave this parable. Now, you know, that's where we are over here in Isaiah, reading, reading these Verses here. Now let me tell you what faint means. It means exactly what you think it does. To be completely without any spirit left in you. When I'm not talking the Holy Spirit here, but I mean you, you're done. You feel like you're half dead. You're exhausted. There's nothing left. You're, you're downcast. And not only that, it means you're worn down. Y'all know what worn down is. Worn down is the same thing as been coming at you for months and months and months and months and you're worn down to a nub. One thing after another. How many times have you ever said that? One thing after another. That's this word faint here. Now Israel in the scriptures, now imagine this. Imagine this. I don't know how you think sometimes. Why did God, here's Israel, and, and they're in Egypt. They're in bondage. And where's their inheritance? It's over there. I just want you to think naturally. Why didn't God say, you know what, guys, don't worry. I'm going to take your inheritance, and I'm going to come in here and wipe out all the Egyptians and give you in, your inheritance here. He didn't do that. He said, come out and go over there. And he says, go take the land. I've given it to you. How many times in the Bible he says, go take your inheritance? Guys, this ain't preaching to church today. It's all pity, pity, pity me. God stands there through these prophets and says, go take your inheritance. I mean, what, I mean, what would you say, Kathy, if I said your inheritance is over here at the bank? Go get it. What's it worth? You'll find out when you get there. You'd be going down there to the bank. I want my inheritance. And today it's like, oh my God, please. Oh, bring me, take me to my, you know, whatever. God is telling us, go take it. I've given it to you. Go take it. He's telling you and me today. Go take it. The land that I've given to you, it's yours. Now go in and possess the land. But you know what he told Joshua over and over? He told Moses this too. And Mo, but to Joshua, he says, go in and take it, but you're going to need to be strong and be of good courage. Hmm. Courage in the Hebrew language means to be strong-minded. It means to be strong-minded. Where's these fiery darts coming at? What did Paul say? Be, renew, be renewed in your mind. 
Set your affection on things above. We're all talking about mind. You have the mind of Christ. So these fiery darts are coming. You know, I don't agree with a whole lot of things he says, but I think Joyce Meyer wrote a book, The Battlefield of the Mind. Is that something like that? I mean, that's, that's true. That's, what, that's, that's the battleground. That's where the fiery darts are coming. She was right. Courage means to be mentally alert. Here's another word. It means stubborn. Stubborn as a mule. You know, we think stubbornness is bad. Stubbornness ain't a bad thing if it's in the right direction. Because stubbornness means I'm not taking this any longer. You, you know what I mean? I'm not taking this anymore. I'm putting my foot down. Enough is enough is enough. I'm being stubborn. Stubbornness comes from God. It's His attribute. He lives in me. He lives in you. He didn't make us and then say, oh my gosh, what a bunch of stubborn people. They were stubborn, but they were stubborn in the wrong direction. They were stubborn towards God. They should have been stubborn towards Egypt. Or the enemies that was in the land. Courage means you put your foot down. It means you're determined. It means you won't give up. And this courage the Bible speaks of, without which you cannot take your inheritance, comes from God. Let me give you a, a psalm here. Psalm 27. Flip over there. Psalm 27, verse 14. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. So good courage comes from what? Waiting on the Lord and receiving his strength. Same thing right here in Psalm 31. Psalm 31 and verse 24. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. Now back to our text we started off with in Isaiah, Isaiah 27. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my, my judgment is passed over from my God? He, I mean, he's, he's talking to Isaiah here and, and, the, and the people, and the same thing. It's all around you. Everyone is fainting. Everyone is weary. Everybody's dragging their feet. Even the young ones are wore out. Have you ever seen that? I mean, you know. You look at a little tyke right there, and they can bounce off the walls. Boom, 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 boom. But you know what? At the end of the day, they're just, have you ever seen them just fall asleep like a dead person? Their neck's all sideways. It doesn't matter. They're just exhausted. Even the, even the youths, I mean, I understand. Me and Teddy's old, and we're worn out. But these little ones, he said, even them will be worn out. So when you, I'm talking the challenge of prayer here. That's, that's the context of this whole thing. All worn out, but what's he say? Say here in verse 31, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So when you wait, there, there is courage. There's your strength waiting on the Lord. Now remember this, i got to say this, I know what we do with these pictures. We think waiting on the Lord is just go sit over in the corner and wait. The Hebrew language is picture language. 
The word wait in the Hebrew language, you know what it means? I'm trying to see if there's anybody in here. Uh, not that I see. It means to braid. Y'all know what to braid means? To braid means you take three strands of hair and you go this way 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 until you got ponytails or whatever. You got braids. No, probably not ponytails. You got braids. Or you take three strands of rope, three-fold cord, and you weave them together, and that three-fold cord is stronger. You braid them together. It means you, the little weak, the little weak strand, are woven together with the Trinity, and what a strong cord that makes, so much so that you'll run and not be weary and not faint and mount up with the wings of an eagle because you're braided together with the Lord. So much so that His strength is your strength. Your whole expectancy now is of God. Your, your hope. Uh, it's not weighty like, uh, will He ever get there? He's over there waiting on God to show up. That's not this word. I mean, it's full of hope. Expectancy. The Holy Spirit has braided you together with God in Christ. Imagine that. Braided you together. I mean, when you're, you're braiding them little girl's hair over there, I want you to think about it. You're the little weak strand in the middle, and he has weaved all around you. All around you. Got you all tangled up in him. That's braiding. That, and, and in that... In that waiting, you're, you're braided. A surge of strength surges in you. I mean, have you ever felt this? And, and that surge of strength is His strength. I can do all things through Christ who, who what is braided, who surges in me. And, and then I become stubborn with His stubbornness. Imagine that. I'm telling you to be stubborn with His stubbornness. Determined with His determination. Now, the, the, the New Testament, uh, you know, this word over here, wait, but in the New Testament, it, it, it's a word filled with power. It's, it's, a, it's a word dunamis. Anybody who studied a little Greek knows this word dunamis. Dunamis is that dynamite power, that explosion power, or, or empower. You know, empower means I'm taking this power and putting it in you. Empower. In, in dunamis, that's, that's what it is. You're, you're encouraged. You know what encouraged means? That means you didn't have no courage. And somebody who has courage takes the courage and puts it in you. That means you encouraged somebody. Right? Be of good cheer. Be encouraged. I've overcome the world. I mean, he's done that in us. Here, I mean, in, in Colossians... Um, Look at this in Colossians 1. This is Paul. Colossians 1.29. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working. Paul says, I'm laboring. I'm striving according to who's working? His working, which worketh in me dunamis, mightily. I mean, this thing is working in me. This is this cough that can't stop. It keeps on coming. It's working in me. Paul says, I'm exhausted here, but he's working in me mightily. I'm finding strength. I didn't even know there was strength. 
Paul is saying, there is no way I could do this on my own. No way. And what's he says? What's he saying here? For I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. I want you to know what a great conflict, this agony, this striving, but, there's, but he's working in me mightily. And then he tells us his prayer, that their hearts might be knit together, that their hearts might be comforted, encouraged, being knit together in love. And unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and the Father and of Christ. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I mean, he tells them his prayer here. And he's, I mean, this is what he wants for them, right? For them to be encouraged. But he's saying, I'm striving here. You... You're getting all this, right? So when you feel you're wiped out, when you feel like, what's the use? Nothing's happening. I've been praying for them people for 20 years. Nothing's happening. I'm tired. I'm wore out. Heck with it. They ain't never going to change. You ever said that? They ain't never going to change. Why I'm wasting my stinking time. But time's precious. Tired of it. You get frustrated. Take a time out. Take a time out. Stop the battle. Wait on the Lord. Understand where the power of prayer comes from. Because you're beginning to think it was your prayer anyway. I mean, who started the prayer? I mean, the Holy Spirit is in you. You don't even know how to pray. You can barely even grunt. That's what he says with groanings. Who started the prayer? You didn't. You didn't come up with the idea and peck the Lord on the shoulder and say, Hey, it'd be a good idea if you did this. Who started it? See, you're beginning to think it was your ideal anyway. That's a fiery dart. It was never your idea. It was your, I mean, I mean, it's no more your prayer than it is your love or your joy or your peace or your self-control. I mean, for me to live as Christ, Paul says, for me to pray as Christ. So when I get weary, it's time out, get back to the basis, go back to your platform, wait on the Lord. And while you're waiting on the Lord, praise the Lord. Go read it. It's all in the scriptures. You know, we don't know what we're going to do, Lord, but we're going to praise it. I know you're the God of Israel. You're the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You're the God that's delivered us. And rehearse it over and over and over. Get braided again. So when I come into this battle, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit right here. When I, when I get a fiery dart that sticks in my head, I'm alerted. I, I, I'm not surprised. Y- y'all remember Gideon? I mean, this army was going to come down there and wipe them out. And Gideon was, he was a wimpy guy anyway. Mighty man of valor. I don't know who they're kidding. But they have too many people and the Lord keeps taking the numbers down and he tells them, I want you, when you go down there to the river, uh, watch those that lap like a dog. And you know what? When they went down to the river, everybody thought, hey, the battle's over, the battle's over. But there was 300 who got down and, and lapped water like a dog. They had their eyes up. They were alert. 
those he could use in the battle. The rest of them he sent home. I'm telling you, the warfare is accomplished. When Jesus said, it's finished, it's done, he rose from the dead, he's on the throne. But the implementation part is not done. Do you understand what I mean? The implementation part ain't over. We got a lot of work to do. So when I'm going to this prayer... Uh, and these fiery darts, when I feel like I don't have time and these things are sticking in my head. No, it's not from you. It's the subtle moves to keep you from doing what it is you're supposed to do. And I want to tell you this. When you pray, there are great moves that are done in the invisible world that you have no idea what is being done. People lose jobs and get jobs and get promoted and get demoted and get moved. And, and uh, the whole world is being moved around because of prayer and salvation coming into this world. I'm telling you. I've seen it. You've seen it. Things that are declared done in the heavenlies, then they'll... They, they become manifested in the visible world. But I'm telling you, it takes time. The reason it takes time is because God will never violate yours or my free will. He won't do it. He's, just because I pray for somebody uh, and pray for them to be saved or whatever, He's not going to just go over there and do it. So how does He do it? I mean, God in His wondrous ways, His, His ways mysterious. But I can tell you this, same thing happened. You know, sometimes when people do stupid stuff, He can make them so tired of it. You know what I mean? Till it becomes disgusting to Him to do that. But on the other side of it, He says what? By my loving kindness have I drawn thee. It takes time. And we sung that song, and this, I'm, I'm going to end this right here. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in the earth as it is in heaven. You get that? That's the challenge of prayer. Just as we're about to pray, I'm getting a phone call. And it's work. We're about to have communion, and it's work. Do y'all get that? Do you see how, how important this is, this prayer? I mean, there's nothing more important than, than we should be doing. Prayer. I don't know, guys. I'm 